Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. This is Mike Abadir. You're listening to the Mike Abadir Show, obviously, because that's where you tuned into. It is Thursday, September 30th, 2021. This year is flying by. I can't believe we're almost in October here. There is always a lot of good sports stuff to talk about. And in fact, we are going to be able to bring in a new sport to the wrinkle. A new old sport, one that we always talk about, actually. But uh, there's uh, opening day coming up at Santa Anita. So we're very, very excited about that. And my co-pilot's going to be able to chime in about that a little bit more than I can because it's in his backyard. It's actually his second home. And I'm talking about none other than Pop DiBiase, who is the primetime handicapper, host of several handicapping shows ranging from football and horse racing to boxing insight and everything in between pop glad you could join me what is up my man i'm feeling good i'm feeling great always a pleasure to be with you mike to uh do this great show man i look forward to uh you know talking some uh horse races some baseball and some football man get the people enticed man yeah no doubt now uh let's let's talk a little baseball for a second because i i have to imagine that pop is in a way, kind of pissed, kind of not, but maybe kind of pissed in that the Dodgers actually, when you break down the numbers, they have one of the top 10 all-time records within a 53-game stretch. Literally, one of the best 53-game stretches of all time. One of the top 10 in history. They've been playing baseball for a long, long time. And guess what? They've only been able to make up one game on the Giants in that. I mean, it's really unbelievable that two teams would have ridiculous stretches like that. You know what I mean, man? Right. And you got to remember, you know, we did go into the last matchup as the the number one team. So they did kind of catch it. They did kind of kind of make up some ground. But, you know, it was temporary, though. You know, which go with the whole losing two out of three and everything. And pretty much since that point, it's been just like, wow, like, Giants, when do you ever lose, man? And Dodgers, when do you ever lose? And when, you know, usually things work themselves out, but this thing is working this, itself out to the point where if we get this Dodgers-Giants divisional game, a divisional matchup, it's going to be absolutely insane, Mike. Like, it's uh, bordering Red Sox-Yankees vibes a little bit with this one when both those teams are top tier and some of the best teams in the league. And their two teams – that might have to face off in the wild card as well, too, um, next week. So this is absolutely crazy that this is such a great playoff right now. Then you got the Mariners who are just, you know, hanging out. But as I told you on my show yesterday, Mike, they're, they're, they're doing a final stretch move where those legs are getting longer, they're getting faster, and everybody else is going the same speed. So, hey, you know. It's, it's kind of crazy because it seems like the Rockets been put up their butt, like we usually say, at the track as well, too, when you get a horse that's coming on late. So I really do like the fact that uh, we got a lot of things going. And I'm not pissed pissed because I kind of already figured in the four or five weeks ago that if this scenario should, will probably arise the way that things have been working out, 
you know, when you look up at the end of every weekend and you're trying to see if the Dodgers are ahead yet and they're not. So, you know what? I prepared myself for And I know that, you know, pretty much if you know smart money, you prepared yourself for this moment because the Dodgers already been in this moment before. So if they have to play the one off, just understand that they were down three to one against the Braves last year in the playoffs as well, too. And that was a one off each night. And that was the championship series against a much better team than they're going to be playing come what's going Even though that team that quite possibly, if that does come up, has won 17 out of their last 18 games and won 17 in a row. But that means absolutely nothing when you play in a playoff game. Well, and I think as you mentioned on the uh, primetime handicapper, primetime angle show that I joined you on yesterday, the Dodgers have kind of this embarrassment of riches where they can kind of trot out, you know, uh, maybe Scherzer to start any one game scenario. And out of the bullpen, they could bring in a lefty like Clayton Kershaw. They could bring in Urias. Uh, you could bring in Bueller. You could bring in whoever you want to start and to close the game. Um, that's that's a luxury that no other team in baseball has on the pitching side. And as we saw last night, man, in what was an epic comeback against the San Diego Padres, they hit four home runs in the eighth inning. So this team has got a lot of pop and firepower. You know, I want to talk about the Giants for a quick second because last week, last week I left the listeners hanging a little bit. We ran out of time because we spent a lot of time talking about the Athletics Top 100 NFL Players of All Time list. And then we ended up talking about baseball's uh, version of the list by the Athletic Top 100 Players of All Time list. And that ended up consuming a lot of the show. It was a great um, debate discussion. But I promised the listeners that I was going to give them the secret to the Giants' success because I figured it out. Not that it takes rocket science to figure it out, but I broke it down, let's just say. And it's merely by pulling up the numbers. The secret to their success, Pop, has been consistency. And I mean that in the most uber sense of the word consistency. I don't think I've seen a baseball team this consistent, maybe in my lifetime. Check out their splits per month. I don't know if you've, if you've actually taken a look at this, Pop, or the, the listeners have. In April, the Giants were 16 and 10. In May, 18 and 10. In June, 16 and 9. In July, 15 and 10. In August, 19 and 9. Are you seeing a pattern here? In September, 20 and 6. Pre All Star break, they were winning at a 640 clip. Post All Star break, at a 680 clip. So they even got better. So the consistency even got better. But if you notice, they have what one, two, three, ten month, uh, three lo- three months where they lost ten, two months where they lost nine, and then September where they've only lost six. So ultra consistent playing. I mean, they win and lose just about the same amount every single month all the way through. Whereas when you look at the Dodgers, they had a really really bad July, and that kind of was what I don't want to say did them in. But that hurt them because they were under 500 in that month. Other than that, the Dodgers have been really good as well, of course. And here we are. Four games left. Dodgers, Giants. Who is going to win the division? Who is going to be in that one-game playoff? I think the other aspect of this, Pop, is I'm going to assume that whoever gets the one-game playoff, and for now, I'm just going to say it's probably going to be the Dodgers. 
that they're going to advance. Once they advance, what do you think the home field advantage is? Because that would be the other negative for the loser of the uh, division race. The wild card winner will have to, um, you know, go up against the other rival uh, with one extra game at that rival's home. So the Dodgers actually are a little bit better of a home team than the Giants. The Dodgers have won 54 at home. The Giants have won 51. Now, the Giants are playing at home this weekend, so they may be able to make up a couple of games, but then again, so are the Dodgers. Uh, On the flip side, the Giants have won five more games than the Dodgers on the road. And that probably is what gets us to this two-game lead for the Giants. So what do you think about the home field advantage argument? Who, Who... who do you think needs it more if that could even be quantified? I'm going to be dead honest with you. My home field advantage doesn't matter in that series. Like, it really doesn't. Like, it's all going to come down to strategy, um, timing, hitting, things like yeah, that. Yeah, didn't, each, didn't so, each team rip off like three in a row at the other's home this year? Yeah, and we've seen this on both sides. Well, the Giants have never swept the Dodgers at home. But the Dodgers did that to them twice, I think. So, you know, that whole thing about home field advantage, blase, blase, that's something that's going to be that something that both teams are going to thrive off of, of being the road team and being the stickler, being the guy that can ruin this whole thing with one swing of the bat. And that's just overall Dodgers Giants. Then this goes all the way back to New York. You know what I mean? So pretty much. That home field advantage situation, you're going to have fans from both sides at both stadiums. You wouldn't have it like where you're going to have a mass influx of Dodger fans in San Francisco, but you'll, you know, uh, you know, you won't have a mass influx down here in L.A., but you will have a 70-30 crowd in Los Angeles and probably a 60-40 to your Giants Dodgers in in uh, San Francisco. So. This is going to be this is like holy war to me, man. This is this is nuts that both these teams play in the same division. And I think that at the end of the day, they're going to make the MLB change the rules on how the playoffs work. Because when you look at this situation, Mike, you don't want these two to meet in a divisional series. You want them to meet in the championship series where it's crunch time. You got Joe Buck in the back. Yeah talking his stuff and whomever who's doing the John Smoltz and, you know, games getting tense and, you know, you're bringing up all these great things and all this fun stuff. That's a great championship series for the National League this year. The winner of that series between the Dodgers and uh, Giants um, just talking in in, and if this is, you know, pretty much not saying it's, it's happening, but most likely it does. If this happens, Mike, this is going to be pretty much the championship series before the championship series because the winner of that series is going to is going to the World Series, and that's how I feel, Mike. But more Dodgers than than Giants because the Giants haven't been in this situation in a long time, but they have Buster Posey who won three championships already with this team, and he can lead the way in this situation. So that's where they get a little bit of an advantage at because they still got a guy – that was around for the rings. But other than that, most of these guys are, are brand new, fresh. So that's how I'm looking at it. And I think that um, 
we let's have some fun. That's all I say. Yeah, you make some interesting points. It's kind of funny because in a lot of sports, we kind of see that, though, right? Where we're like, oh, well, the Lakers Spurs is the real championship. You know, nobody from the East is going to be able to compete. And then we get into the finals and the East team competes. You know, we see that in the NFL all the time, too. Well, the NFC Championship game is really the the, the true finals, the Packers and the, uh, the 49ers, the best two teams. And then you have the AFC team compete. So we see that in all sports all the time. And I think a part of us wishes that each time you truly have the best two teams playing. Now, in my mind, the Brewers are no joke. And if they got there, they would be very deserving. But if the Braves... If the, if the Braves get there, you know, they've got like almost 20 less wins than the Giants. That would be kind of a joke. And in baseball, anything can happen. A team can get hot. A team can get on a tear and get there. And so that would be the one thing that would be a little bit concerning. But hey, we've seen that too, right? We saw that when the, um, we saw that when the Cardinals got in barely as a wild card in 2001 and then won out all the way into the world series. And then they uh, beat the Texas Rangers in a crazy world series. They had one of the worst records ever for a world series champion. So, I mean, there is some precedent for that, but I agree with you. I mean, in a perfect world, you'd have a hundred and probably it's going to be like 106, 107 wins for the giants go up against like 104, 105 win Dodger team. I mean, that's the baseball gods want that, right? Well, it can't happen. And so in that sense, I I totally uh, agree with your sentiment, uh, Big Pop. Let me ask you this. Let's go over to the American League for a moment before we get to our first break. You've been touting the Seattle Mariners for a long time. You're, You're one of the few guys that's been on them. I don't know if it was from the beginning. But let's just say really, really early on in the season, you were touting how the Mariners could be uh, a factor towards the end. And I think most people are very surprised, not just that they are, but they're winners of nine of the last 10 games. They won four in a row, and they've actually created a four-game difference between them and the Oakland A's, who have really been a powerhouse in that division for a long time to come. What what do you think are the Mariners' chances? Now, you're going to have the Yankees and the Blue Jays beating up on each other, and then you're going to have the Yankees and the Rays going up, and they're bitter rivals. So are they going to knock each other out, out to the extent that the Mariners are going to sneak in? What what are your thoughts? How do you handicap the field in the American League? And then the Red Sox are the, are the remaining team. They're playing the Orioles right now. They're up 1-0, and then they got the Nationals for three games. Well, I think that the Red Sox might run into the to the to the situation where you say, okay, they really, really got to be on their A game because the Red Sox have been good, but the Red Sox also lost the first place lead that they had, were up, you know, about eight games with as well too. So, I think that the second half Red Sox aren't as good as the first half Red Sox, and they're good at you know dropping some of these games because they don't really have the starting rotation that tells you that that gives you that that Kurt Schilling feel, you know what I mean? And all those guys that play that were a part of that rotation and all that stuff. And even when John Lester was on his A game, 
uh, young John Lester, because we all got to remember it's young John Lester with the Red Sox. So he was pretty good as well, too. You know what I mean? And I, you don't really have those pitchers. Yes, you have Chris L. You have Evaldi. But it kind of stops there because I can't trust Nick Pavetta in a in a, in a big situation. Good thing he's pitching today. You know what I mean? And then um, who else do they have up there as well, too, in the rotation? I just – just that other – that back end of the rotation, you have to watch it. But I would say that – The other guys – they're, the, they're in the best scenario, though. And then you have the Yankees that are in a situation where this could be the season right here. No, this is the season. Let me take that back because you got four really tough games coming up. And if anybody's going to slip, it would be the Yankees. The Mariners have already overtaken the Blue Jays as is. So if they just keep winning, the Blue Jays will stay right where they're at. But I think that it comes down to the Yankees Rays series on if the Mariners are going to be able to, to to uh, sneak into this playoff because I think the Red Sox should handle the Nats fairly easily. Yeah, I, I agree with your uh, handicapping of the situation. The only thing that I kind of begged to differ on maybe slightly is that, um, and you did give credit to Seal and Eovaldi, but I don't know if you gave enough weight to them. I mean, they're pretty damn good. Now, I wouldn't put Eovaldi at the shilling level. Okay, I agree with you. But I think Chris Sale's worthy of that. I mean, since he's come back, he's made made two mistake pitches, and that's it. Literally. Literally two mistake pitches, and he's been dominant outside of that. I mean, he's been really, really good. I, I would feel, put it this way, if he went up against anybody else in the American League, I think he, I'd have to think he'd be the favorite. I don't care, Cole, whoever else, you name it, he's pitching lights out. Eovaldi isn't the name, doesn't resonate necessarily like a Chris Sale, but he's pitching like that, especially lately. He's been really, really damn good. Now, you're talking about the rest of the rotation. So you got Pavetta. I agree with you. He's really inconsistent. He'll give you a good outing just as often as he gives you a bad outing. And you kind of can't have that in the playoffs, right? Um, you can't have that and, and be a contender. His ERA is four and a half. Okay. The other guy who was supposed to be kind of the, the up and coming Red Sox was Eddie Rodriguez, Eduardo Rodriguez. His ERA is almost five. He had a great year last year and the year before, but this year he's really inconsistent. If they wanted to put in Garrett Richards or Martin Perez, same thing. They're all the same guy. Four and a half to five ERA range. Right. Um, those last two names, though, aren't big strikeout guys. At least Pavetta and Rodriguez have strikeout stuff. Richards and Perez do not. We're not going to see them in the playoffs outside of some maybe some long relief or something like that. So that's kind of the situation with the Red Sox. I think what they're going to do is line it up to get Sale and uh, and and uh, Ivaldi as much as humanly possible, kind of like the way they did with uh, Pedro and Schilling, as much of them as possible. But you're right. At least they had Derek Lowe. They had uh, Lester. There's been different guys over the years who have been able to um, take that mantle as well. Pop, let's take a quick commercial break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up this conversation and look ahead to week four in the National Football League. Stay with us. We will be right back. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, everyone. Mike Abadir here, joined by, with uh, Pop DiBiase, legendary handicapper. Pop, let's uh, wrap up this conversation. Are you now saying the Red Sox and the Mariners are the two wild cards? If if it was up to me, if I had my crystal ball, I would say yes. It comes down to those two. So then I can live. So then I can look good, and you too, that the Yankees didn't make the playoffs because we said <laughs> back in July that the Yankees. This was the worst Yankee team we've seen in our in period in the last in the last 30 years. And, uh, you know, pretty much they're not going to make the playoffs. They were fourth place at that moment. We didn't put, we didn't think that when they put together a 13 game winning streak, they would be back right where they needed to be. I felt like they got a great burst and then that burst bust. You know, what I mean, yeah, they didn't win the because they dropped a lot of key games at Yankee Stadium. And this isn't a playoff Yankee team. They wouldn't even get past the first uh the first uh game, the wild card game, in my opinion. They're just not good enough this year. Garrett Cole, great pitcher. Corey Kluber washed up. James Talian needs to be in the bullpen. You know, there's a lot of things wrong with the Yankees this year. You know, and the Yankees have to look a long look in the mirror. And tell themselves, do we move on from Stanton? Do we go acquire pitching to suffice this team? Because you got enough hitting. That's the thing. You have enough hitters. You don't need every. You don't need both power hitters of the uh, of the day on your team. It doesn't work. Because if it worked, they would have had two championships right now, Mike. Totally agree with you. You know, 
He just especially just, because Cole isn't pitching the way he was earlier in the season, right? And he's their best pitcher. He's their bet. He's their go-to ace. He's their guy. Everybody else is inconsistent. Very inconsistent. This is this is the first time I've seen a Yankee rotation where they didn't have three guys that could that they could depend on. You know, I you can get used to two guys not you know being average, but they always got three guys: the the ace, the guy who's the the one B, and then the guy that could be an ace on any other team in the MLB. But he just now is you know pretty much. You know, he's the middle guy with the Yan- uh, with the uh, Yankees. He can be one or two anywhere else, but he's the third guy with the Yankees and usually the rubber and usually the stopgap guy whenever things are happening. So, you know, the Yankees, I just want my prediction to be right. That's all. That's all. I hear you, they man. They don't deserve the playoffs, Mike. They don't. Well, I'm always of the mindset, if they get in, you deserve it. If they don't, they don't. Uh, it's kind of like the proof is in the pudding after 162 games. And, uh, you know, I think this weekend the pitching is the pitching weakness is going to be on display. You know, if they don't get good pitching this weekend, they don't get to pitch in October. I mean, it's, it's that simple. They're going to get exploited. You can't throw out Cole every single day. And even if you did, he hasn't been what he was earlier in the year. So you're going to have to rely on a bunch of strikeout kings to hit a bunch of home runs because they're not a base-to-base type team. They're not a station-to-station type team. They don't do that. They don't play small ball. They don't steal bases, move runners, sacrifices, etc. They are all about the bash. They are the modern-day bash brothers, except there's no Ricky Henderson or Terry Steinbach, or uh, Gallego, or any of the plates, uh, play setters, you know, the top of the order guys that the uh, Oakland A's had, who previously had the mantle of the Bash brothers with Kitsako and McGuire. So I agree with you with your take. You know, I don't know about the Mariners, but. If I had my crystal ball, I, I would say the Red Sox and the Blue Jays get in. You're going to have a little Canada representation, if you know what I mean. Um, that, that's kind of that's kind of the way I see it. Uh, the Mariners are going to host, host the Angels. And fortunately for them, they don't get Shohei the pitcher. Uh, the Blue Jays get the Orioles at home. And that's kind of why I give the Blue Jays and the Red Sox the nod Whereas the Yankees are going to be playing their arch nemesis, not the Red Sox, but the Rays. And let's face it, they are the ones that are truly deserving of the name arch nemesis for either of the two teams, the Red Sox or the Yankees. Because let's face it, the Rays have been better than those two teams kind of for a long time now, for a bunch of years in a row. Um, So that's kind of the way I see this upcoming weekend. I think the Rays give the Yankees fits. I think the Blue Jays take care of business against the O's, and I think the Red Sox take care of business against the Nats, and that's how it winds up in the American League. No matter what, it's going to be a fascinating, very exciting weekend, Pop. Now, I before we shift gears, I do want to point something out. 
I learned something new, and that's the beauty of baseball. It seems like you learn something new all the time when you're when you're uh, watching baseball or encountering a new scenario that you haven't encountered before. What I'm talking about is the tiebreaker rules. Did you know that there's a tiebreaker tie rule, tiebreaker possibility, Pop, where the teams get to choose who they play, where they play, and when do they play? Did you have any idea that that could be the case? No. Me neither. That's why so, it must be very deep into the rule book. Okay. So it could happen, and I'm reading through the, ma- the uh, major leagues – MLB's websites scenarios. The scenario that would have to happen would be a three-team tie for the two wildcard spots. Okay, so I'm just going to read it verbatim. If the Blue Jays, Yankees, and Red Sox were all tied with no other non-division winners in the AL ahead of them, the three teams would choose A, B, and C designations. Club A, if they choose that, would host Club B. The winner of that game would be one wildcard club, while the loser would then play Club C on the road to determine the other. The winners of the two games would face, face each other in the wildcard game. The three designations are decided by head-to-head records. The Red Sox went 10-9 in each of their series against the Blue Jays and the Yankees, so they would have the first pick of designation. The Blue Jays are also 11-7 against the Yankees, so they would pick second. The Yankees would get whichever designation is left over. The selection comes down to a choice of playing up to two games, which is Club A, or taking your chances as the home team in a single elimination game, Club C. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, it's pretty wild. I kind of hope it happens in a weird way because I think it would be cool to see that. They should televise the teams making those draft choices. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. Yep. But that's a super long shot situation from what it sounds like. But you know what? Long shots come in all the time. But so why like is it a super long shot if the three teams tie? I mean, when you look right. at the standings right now, I mean, you know, the Yankees have 90 wins. The, the Red Sox have 88. And the Blue Jays, 87. I mean, it yeah. could happen. Yeah, we'll see. It could. It's not super likely. The Blue Jays, you know, have to make up three games. Uh, but crazier things have happened. Uh, the, the the difficulty is that all three have having to basically, well, the Red Sox and the Blue Jays almost to win out, and then the Yankees slip up against the Rays, which very well could happen. Just mathematically, it's not super possible, uh, super likely to happen. So, that would be exciting stuff. I wanted to throw that out there because I learned something new. I had no idea that you could have a choice in the matter uh, in MLB or any sport for that matter. So that is the American and National League playoff scenarios. Let's look ahead right. to week four in the NFL. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I- I was looking forward to talking some football with you, Mike. So that's yeah. why I'm glad that we've, we've entered week four finally. Yeah, I know, man. Well, is, is this a little bit of uh, 
of a man. The Dodgers are. The situation is stressing me out a little bit. I want to move on from it, or just your love for the NFL, or a little bit of both. It's just that it's not about the Dodgers and their situation. It's just about what you call. I just want to get to the uh, NFL with you, man. What you call? Because we talked about baseball for most of the show, and uh, okay. I've been talking about baseball a lot, you know, for the last month or so. So pretty much. You know, the NFL is new. It's exciting. We got a lot of great things going on. We got the game about to start here in 30 minutes. You know, pretty much I'm excited. I'm amplified. You know, the Raiders are 3-0 right now. I know you're excited about that part right there. Derek Carr just won the AFC Player of the Month. All that good stuff. Carr, I always will maintain that he's the most underrated quarterback in the NFL. Agree or disagree? Yeah. I think that he's underrated because his coach didn't believe in him from day one, unlike his coach prior to that who was in love with him. You know, that's why, you know, pretty much Gruden didn't make the playoffs the first few years because he tried to babysit Derek Carr when he didn't need to. You know, let Derek Carr be Rich Gannon. You know what I mean? Let him be your, your guy. You know what I mean? You know how good he is. You watch the the broadcast when you were in the booth at, on Monday Night Football and all that good stuff. You know, you want to come in and be Mr. Drill Sergeant and all that stuff, and they always give this quarterback something to look over his shoulder on. You didn't ever do Rich Gannon like that, and you didn't even do Brad Johnson like that. So why are you going to do Derek Carr like that, who was a better quarterback than both of those guys, in my opinion, when it comes down to the skill level and the, the intangibles and what you need to be a great quarterback? Even though Gannon won a lot of games, he can't air it out the way that Carr did, Brad Johnson either. So, you know, pretty much it's awesome to see that he's getting his recognition, and it's almost like how it was about six, seven years ago when he was coming into his own and he snapped his leg against Indianapolis late in the season. And it feels like those vibes once again, but, you know, he's pretty much making up for the fact that the Raiders' defense is uh, is a defense that's not – that that can get to, to get home to the quarterback, but they can't stop the run, and they have a, a tendency of giving up a lot of deep plays in the passing game, or having some undisciplined penalty in the passing game as well, too. Very interesting points, especially the one about Gruden, and I could tell you, as a uh, yeah, I'm not going to say I'm a Raiders insider. But I do have uh, kind of like a half a foot in that uh, organization. And I will tell you that that's 100% true. Gruden admitted as such uh, privately to some of his close confidants that he did not want Carr to be his quarterback. He absolutely did not. I don't know when he came to the realization that he's the best option they've got. But once he came to a realization, then it became, all right, let's let him let it rip. And he's being rewarded for that. The Raiders are the most prolific passing team in the NFL right now, which has resulted in them being the best offense on a per game yardage basis in the NFL. You can't argue with that. The running game hasn't been that terrific so far, but A, maybe they have just haven't needed to, and B, Jacob's been hurt. 
once he gets better, I think we'll, we're going to see a much better balanced attack when needed. Hey, the Raiders are 3-0. and The Broncos are a 3-0 and that I don't believe in. And they're going up against the Chargers on Monday Night Football. So we're going to get an early indication as to who the Raiders really are and how good they are on Monday Night Football against the Charger team that just beat the Chiefs. Now, people are mentioning or pointing out that the Chiefs are in last place. Come on, man. It's three games in. <laughs> it's three games in. They're not a last place team. They're not going to be last place when the year is over. However, some of the Chiefs' weaknesses are being exploited. Some of Mahomes' antics, which never seemed to go awry, which never seemed to go any direction but his way, are kind of going against him. They're not going his way right now. And when I say antics, I'm not talking about anything off-field or anything of that nature. I'm talking about in-game, you know, the underhand throws while he's moving in a different direction. For whatever reason, they've always found a way to end up in Cheetah's hands or Kelsey's hands or Robinson or Hilaire or you name it. Uh, Those off-balance throws, those precision throws where he has to squeeze the needle, thread the needle, just to get it there. A couple of those just haven't gone his way this year. Some of the more reckless stuff hasn't gone his way this year. Do you think he's going to change the way he plays because they haven't gone his way? Or do you think he's going to be like, hey, man, I got a 50-game sample size of me being Mahomes, and what I do works. It just happened to not work a couple of times. Who, which Mahomes do you think we're going to see moving forward, Pop? Does he change his game at all or alter it? Does he rein it back a little bit? Nope, because he doesn't know how to. All he's going to do is do what he does best because it's already been praised. Yeah, he's had a couple bad games and everything like that. But you know what? At the end of the day, if he had better defense, if he had his defense playing a little bit better, he probably wouldn't. We probably wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. But. They have done him no favors at this point. So now he has to kind of overplay a little bit. and He has to overdo things a bit. And uh, pretty much, um, you know, it looks like that, you know, Mahomes is, is it's still somewhat worse. But you know what? At the end of the day, you can't you can't you can't get rid of it's tough to get rid of bad habits. He reminds me a lot of Brett Favre without throwing interceptions. OK, and Favre played the way he played because that's the best way for him. And I think that's exactly what happens with Mahomes as well, too. We got tape out on Mahomes now. And I think he doesn't really realize that, you know, after what happened in the Tampa Bay game, everybody has kind of an idea on how to play. you. And if you can get your, your, your pass rush home against him and make life very, very um, uneasy for him, very uncomfortable for him, he's very regular. You know what I mean? Just like any quarterback. But seriously, I think that he 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 hasn't really, really struggled or he hasn't done anything that's too crazy. But I know what you're thinking about, Mike, the two picks that happened on Sunday, pressing, overdoing it too much. But that's because the Chargers had a scheme for him. 
And that's how I felt, feel. And I think the Chargers have already, you know, actually the Chargers have already um, been successful in spots against Mahomes last year. They only lost 20 to 17 at home and then they beat him. I know Mahomes wasn't a part of that game in Kansas City, but the, it was almost the same exact game from last year in L.A., but this time around, the Chargers scored points. That was the difference. So when you look at it, you know, the Chiefs actually outgained the uh, Chargers. They ran 15 more plays than the Chargers. They had 12 more first downs than the Chargers. At the end of the day, it was the four turnovers that was the difference in that game. But it doesn't matter to me because I had the Chargers winning that game anyway, Mike. So, hey, it is what it is. <laughs> it, there, that, that's what you get when you tune in to the primetime handicapper. So, on that note, we're going to take our last commercial timeout. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little point spreads. We're going to talk a little bit of Sunday, how to make a few bucks. Stay with us. We will be right back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel find out what's happening on the voice america talk radio network by keeping up with us on twitter you can find us at voice america trn streaming live the leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com. have you become a member yet sign up now to become a member of voice america it's always free and easy Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to the final segment of the Mike Abadir Show. I am joined by the primetime handicapper, Pop DiBiase, and we're going to be talking a little bit NFL point spreads, a little bit of NFL Week Four as we close out the show here. <clears throat> There's some pretty good matchups this weekend, especially in the NFC West. We get some good faceoffs here. We got the Cardinals and the Rams going up against one another as two three and O teams. We got the Seahawks and the 49ers going up against each other. They're the two teams that've got losses in the America and the uh, I was going to say American League in the NFC West. Uh, the other 
fascinating matchup, aside from Monday night, the Raiders and the Chargers, is the Bucks and the Patriots. Now, this is fascinating to me, not because from an X's and O's perspective that these are that these are two great teams that are going to duel it out. But I think it's more fascinating because of the personalities involved. Right? The Bucks and the Patriots. Brady and Belichick. Brady leaving the Patriots. Brady going to the Bucks. The Bucks winning the Super Bowl. The Patriots playing at home. Belichick defending his turf, defending his move to part with Brady. From a point spread perspective, the Bucks on the road are seven-point favorites at the Patriots. And I'm going to say that that's way too many points, even though the Buccaneers are a much better team than the New England Patriots. I understand about Brady, but Brady doesn't care about point spreads, Pop. Brady wants to win the game. Now, if he could rub it in their face, I'm sure he's going to try. But Belichick ain't going to allow for that, man. Belichick is going to game plan out of his mind this week to make it a much closer game so that I could win my seven-point, getting seven-point spread at home against the Buccaneers. That's my play of the week. The Patriots getting seven at home from the Buccaneers. What are your thoughts about this game? Um, more hype than anything. You know, when they get on the field, the game won't be about Bill and Tom. It'll be about executing and getting to the greater goal, and that's to win the game. Now, this could be a moment for the Patriots defense to have a, you know, we know how to shut Tom down situation. You know what I mean? We know how to come at him. We know how to go about it, uh, Tom, Tom Brady, because if Tom knows everything about the Patriots, Bill knows everything about him. So there's nothing that's changed. If anything, things have kind of regressed a little bit. So when you look at this, if he's able to take away weapons and things of that nature, this is a different type of game. But I know what everybody's feeling like. You got a rookie quarterback. He probably won't be able to step up to the plate as well as everybody would, would figure. Because, you know, a lot of a lot of people are starting to understand that Rookie quarterbacks might not be as prepared as the TV man says they are. You know, we've we've had a lot of overhype with these, what is it, five uh, first-rounders top 15, and everybody's trying to pick out who the best one is and who's doing the best work. None of them are, you know, at the end of the day. You got Trey Lance coming off the bench. All they, they he's, so, he's so basic, they have to put together basic plays for him. Then you have Trevor Lawrence, who's probably the best of the bunch, but he's in a dire situation because he has a college guy coaching him. And then you got Wilson, who is with the most toxic organization in all, all of football. They took that mantle from the Browns, the Raiders, teams like that everybody else used to call toxic. Now those teams aren't toxic anymore. That title goes to the Jets. So all in all, you got Mac Jones, who probably has the most winning experience from college because he played at Alabama. So this being so this could be his big moment because he's already played in big games as is. So I'm with you. 
I really like the Pats in this spot. And I said, don't hesitate to play them on the money line if you if 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 you feel it. They're at home. And this could be and we've seen we've seen far crazier in the NFL than this. But all in all, I think that it just comes down to who executes the best in this spot and yeah i know that there's a lot of talk going back and forth and everything like that but that just fills up the news uh feed man you know and we all know that at the end of the day there's nothing but a a, a super respect between bill and tom i know they want to make it seem like there's some type of division there when there's nowhere near being that and there's no issues with uh robert Kraft either robert Kraft's just speaking from his uh his his perspective but that doesn't mean he hates bill or anything like that you know the uh, you guys have to understand one thing you might have a friend that's a real stickler for things and you might say some shit like this he pissed me up you know what i mean but that's still your friend because you know i'm better than than other people know him and you're just saying this so people can understand that you have to understand who you're dealing with you know what i mean and that's what i felt like he's he meant in those comments you know what i mean and he didn't mean anything bad. Like, I don't like Bill. Man, he loves Bill. Bill comes over for dinner probably once a month, twice a month. You know what I mean? And Tom and Bill probably have talked several times since he left New England. They're just not going to come out in the news and tell us that. You know what I mean? I know what you mean, but I don't know if I necessarily agree with everything that you're saying. Because I think that Brady and <laughs> Belichick uh, have a very respectful relationship, but I don't think that Kraft and Brady are necessary, or excuse me, Kraft and Belichick are necessarily okay with each other after Kraft put it out on full blast during the season. Right, you know what I mean? Like it's during the season right now. Then. Why would you even, why would you release that during the season? Right. But what? why would he still Benefits. be employed then? Why would he still be their head coach? They could have moved on last uh, last passive, year after that. Passive aggressive. Is passive aggressive? Mm. Doesn't have his well, air apparent just yet. I don't know. Yeah. But it's silly though because you got to always remember Bob Crab begged Bill Belichick to come be their coach. Yeah, but that was a long time ago, and that was maybe before he got to know him real well. I just don't understand why you would write a book. It's kind of like you right now. Let's just say you send out a tweet where you're like, Mike Abadir is an a-hole. All right, well, then why are we working together, man? You know what I mean? It's like, why? Now, if I left, we're not working together, and then you sent that, okay, sucks that you feel that way, but it makes more sense to do it like that. I'm just not understanding the logic of doing it. Maybe this is another passive-aggressive move where they want to see him out and they don't want the fan base to think they fired him. So he's maybe they're going to push him to walk away himself. I don't know, man. I don't know. Very, very strange situation here. Let's move on because we're limited in time. What do you think about this Rams-Cardinals game? Battle of 3-0 and teams. The Rams are four-point favorites at home, probably deserving to be four-point favorites at home. Uh, but that kind of tells you that Vegas sees these two teams fairly evenly because you get that field goal for a home game anyways. So they're kind of looking at this as pretty close to even or the Rams minus one if they're on a neutral site. What do you make of this game? 
Well, it opened up at minus six for the Rams. So it's just telling me that a lot of money's going towards Arizona. And I think that's smoke and mirror money because the thing is, Arizona played against teams that, honestly, the Rams would have probably blew away. You know, we, come on, we open up the season with the Titans. The Titans are good. They're really good. But the Titans kind of got uppercutted early, and they just couldn't get back into it. And that's the Titans for you. If you get a big lead on the Titans, they're not coming back. Okay? And then you come in and you play Minnesota, who's a good team, but they're not a great team. They're a middling team. And you could have lost that game. And then you get the Jaguars, and the Jaguars were up at the half. So the Cardinals are good. But at the end of the day, though, the Rams have a a, a situation just like the Yankees used to have over Pedro Martinez. Who is your daddy, Arizona? It is the Rams, either in St. Louis or in L.A. When you look at their last uh, five, the last five years, the Rams haven't lost a game to them. And I don't think they've lost a game to them ever since moving back to Los Angeles. So I think that the home crowd is going to be pumped up Sunday. They win that game by 10 or better. Another game that's interesting, kind of under the radar, is the uh, Browns at Minnesota. The Browns are two-point favorites on the road, and they're taking all the money right now. Uh, But I'm going to tell you something. The Vikings really aren't a bad team, especially offensively. They're dynamite. They're a lot better than that one and two record suggests. They played some difficult teams early on. That's my next pick, Pop. Vikings getting two points at home. What do you think about this game? Battle of, I know you always like to point out when uh, teams from different conferences or interleague play in baseball comes about. What do you think of this matchup? Well, you know, you got a um, Vikings team that could be 3-0. You know, you know if... Um, if uh, they don't get the fumble late in the Cincinnati game, that's a win. If the kicker doesn't miss the field goal in Arizona, that's a win. Then last week they were down double digits against a team that's seen as one of the better teams in the NFC, came back and absolutely left them right where they were at and wound up winning that game by double digits themselves. So, yeah, they're really they're pretty good. And the Browns come into this game with a lot of expectations and a lot of hype, but this is a trap spot for the Browns as well, too. So this game right here can go either way. The game is right where it needs to be. And, you know, pretty much the Browns are taking all the early money, but that late money when it all when it's all said and done will go on Minnesota. What I like here more than anything is I like the under. I think that both defenses show up. Both both these pass rushes are legit. Even though the Browns pass rush is a bit better, number two in the NFL right now with 12 sacks and got nine on Sunday. So they're pumped up. Uh, Good Clowney stuff, man. Garrett. Yeah, you up. know, uh, that that's great analysis. We're out of time now. Those are my plays for the week. Thank you to Pop. Thank you for the listeners. We will see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.